Brandon, all I'm going to buy you for Christmas is, is <laughs> merch. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hello, welcome to Hattrick. I'm Jordan Dollar Coltman, joined by Elliot Tanti and Braden Dollar Coltman. We are back for another busy, busy episode. We've got lots to get to, lots to discuss. Busy day in sports, uh, busy weekend in sports, and um, and and just overall, lots and lots of drama and storylines around the sporting world. We're going to get to many of that, many of those this week. Um, first, I guess I should turn it over to these two guys, give them a moment to say hello to their loved ones. How are you doing, guys? And uh, any shout-outs you want to make as we get this one rolling? Uh, yeah, good. Happy to be here. Awesome. A shout out to uh, my fiance Ale, whose birthday it is today. Nice. Uh, yeah. You know what that's called, Braden? That's called teeing it up. Happy birthday, Ale. Happy yes, birthday, Ale. All right, here we go. Who's the topic one? Okay. Well, let's get right to it. Um, big, big news, big, big story, big, big drama coming out of a very early race in the F1 finale from Abu Dhabi this morning. If you were up as I was at the crack of dawn, prior to the crack of dawn, frankly, uh, to watch it live, or you watched it on PVR, or maybe you didn't watch it, you just watched the highlights because I don't know why you would do that, but some people did. The point being, this was an incredibly dramatic, incredibly... Um, controversial end to what has been an incredibly dramatic and incredibly controversial season for F1. The two championship leaders, Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton came into it deadlocked tied. Um, we talked a lot about this a couple of days ago on our other podcast on this feed, the pit stop podcast with Braden. Uh, we had our guest, uh, Tyler Walzak. We all broke it down. We were all excited, excited, mostly just for the drama that we knew would unfold. And, it didn't disappoint, but it, but it was it was less, I think, about the quality of the racing that led to the drama and more the way in which the drama unfolded. Uh, Lewis Hamilton took, took a great lunge at the very beginning of the race, took the lead, and he led the race all the way through until the last 10 laps when Canadian driver Nicholas Latifi found the wall, leading to a safety car, during which the Red Bull driver, who was Further back in the pack, Max Verstappen was able to pit. He chose to pit because he knew if there was going to be a chance, he'd need some help to get to Lewis. Lewis chose not to pit or his team chose not to pit because they were afraid that the safety car might be left out. And that's how the race would finish. So to give up track position could be deadly. They chose not to do that. They were left with old tires. And then all hell broke loose in the very last two laps. Some very strange and some very um, unorthodox decisions were made. Um, we'll get into that in a second, but suffice to say, uh, Max Verstappen was given an opportunity on the very last lap to attack. He had fresh tires. Lewis was handicapped by his older tires and was unable to defend. Max snuck ahead, stole the lead right off the nose of Lewis Hamilton, who was less than a lap away from becoming an eight-time world champion, the first eight-time world champion in auto sports history. There has never been an eight-time champion in NASCAR. There has never been an eight-time champion in Formula One. There's never been an eight-time champion in rally racing. So this would have been history. It was history a different way. The Dutch young gun winning his first world championship. All right. That is my long-winded, but as uh, detailed as I could possibly make it for those who didn't get up at 5 a.m. to get it. Let me turn it over to my compatriots here. Braden, I know you watched this race. I know you were excited for this race coming in. I'm sure that as the laps ticked away, you had expectations of what was going to happen, and then they were all flipped on their head. How do you feel? 
Well, it's funny you ask me how I feel because in your long-winded explanation, you didn't even let anyone know how you feel. But I know the minute that all hell broke loose in the last sec- uh, last two laps, uh, you were incensed, as I'm sure everyone else was when it came to what, how this thing ended. How I mean, so so I, I, I'm frustrated, I guess, as as everybody. So the two the last two laps, uh, just before when Latifi had his accident. Um, Hamilton had a, an 11 second lead. There was no reason. There was there was just no way that Verstappen was going to be able to to get back into this. Um, how am I feeling? Frustrated, but there's also a big part of me that's like it's it's frustrating because I think that Max Verstappen, uh, you know, should should be recognized for his great great season. He had a one, he had a really, really great season and he was a championship driver. Um, but it's going to be forever marred now by the fact that this came down to a caution flag and the way that the, the safety car ended this race. I it's, it's hard. It's hard to watch. And it's hard to watch, I think too, because now there's even more fans watching this uh, and going, is this how this always had like this, this can't be right. There's, there's a, there's a mess up here. Elliot. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of disagree. I mean, is there were no way that that Max Verstappen gets back into the race? Well, there was a way. It was through a caution and two 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 laps of a safety car, um, and and they, you know it was incredible luck. It was the luck of a generation, um, but he got it. And I mean, to your point, you've got all these people watching this sport for the first time ever. And super investment comes down to the last race of the year. If the last race of the year ends with the safety car completing the last lap, as opposed to the two finalists having one last lap showdown, it is a much better story for for F1. It's much better for uh, people who are new to the sport, newly engaged so, with it. Yeah. And, and 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 so I disagree. I think and I don't think this is a, the race didn't end with the safety car. It, there was a lot. No, one last lap of racing. But it should have. But maybe maybe. But if it did. That would have been an awful, atrocious way to end the season. Sure, but then Elliot, so Connor McDavid gets like, tripped on a breakaway, so and and there's no call. Should, that's and that's like how the game. game ends. Well, but that's my point. Is that how should it how it should end? There's a there's a clear infraction of the rules here. Yeah, of course. But I what I'm saying is that it's much better than it ended with one last. So lap it's of more about the narrative and the guard. sanctity of. So the Houston Astros should win because it's a lot more fun for the fans yeah. instead of them banging on the things and and cheating. Yeah, I love I love the Astros, man. You All know right, me. so let me jump in here because as Braden <laughs> said, I tried really hard. I tried really hard to sort of hold my emotion back for the intro, but I am incensed. I'm still frustrated. I've been angry all day. To be honest with you, I'm less angry now and I'm more just sad. I'm disappointed because this is a sport I've invested a lot of emotion and energy, emotional energy in, in the last year, two, three years. And I was disappointed by the way in which this unfolded. Not that Max won. I was prepared going into the race that it was very yeah, likely yeah. Max was going they were to tied. win. I would have been fine with that. Was I cheering for Lewis? Certainly. I was excited for the opportunity for him to grab history in the way he was he he was poised to do. I was impressed with how he drove the entire race up to that point. And the and the fact is, at the end of the day, the the way this race was decided was not um, was not under the same set of guidelines that have ended every other race in F one history. Let me explain what I mean by that. So Elliot's right. Is it more fun to watch two guys go head to head in the last lap? Yes. 
if they're on even footing. They weren't. You've handicapped one driver because he made decisions and his team made decisions based on the rules as they knew them. Their expectation is that the same standards are going to be applied to this safety car that has been applied to every other hundred, if not thousands of safety cars that Lewis Hamilton has driven behind his during his career. What do I mean by that? Rule 48 of the FIA's governing document for the way uh, Formula One is run states that a during a safety car ending, there is a procedure that should go as follows. Uh, lapped cars or back markers who have gotten caught up in the queue shall be given the opportunity to unlap themselves, meaning that they will pass the safety car and gun it around the track to get back to the back of the pack as fast as possible. With one lap uh, following that before the safety car is returned. So those are the two pieces here that, that, that I want to focus in on. Number one, only four of the back markers were allowed to pass Lewis Hamilton and the safety car. Only the four between him and Max Verstappen. There were three more back markers right behind Max Verstappen who were not given the same opportunity. So already right there, the first part of this rule has been, let's say, reinterpreted. Then the second piece of it being that there shall be an additional safety car lap to ensure that those cars can safely make it to the back of the pack was not followed. Those cars were given the opportunity to leave and less than half a lap later, during the same lap, the safety car was, re was removed from the track. So right then again, the wording of that rule has been reinterpreted twice. And that for me is where I start going, this is what's frustrating. There yeah. appears to be a decision that was made by Michael Massey, the race director and the stewards room to ensure that the last race, the la last lap of this race would be run under green, regardless of the fact that it was in violation of their own sporting code. And that for me is the problem. This is different, Braden, than Connor McDavid on a breakaway being tripped. This is a more like, this is more like a tripping infraction being called at center ice. And instead of just giving the uh, penalized team two minutes, you're also pulling their goalie while they're in the lead. Yeah. What, so you're what, saying it's you even basically further. change the what entire I'm... structure of what the, the rule book yeah. is yeah. to give an advantage, whether intentional or not, to one driver. And the reason Max Verstappen had the addition of fresh tires was because he was in he was so far back that by that point, it was a free pit stop. They were just gambling. Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes chose not to do that, not because they didn't think it was the right thing to do, because they knew ahead. that they would lose or expected that they would lose if they had done it. Yeah. And then they were put on the back foot. So I agree with Elliot. Would it have been fun to have a shootout between these two guys on the last lap? Yes, but it should have been on even footing. It should not have been one guy with with old tires and one guy with fresh tires because it was never going to be a fair fight. And that for me is where I feel like Max didn't win this race. He was given this race by the stewards. The stewards chose or dictated how this was. And in my opinion, officiating should never decide a championship. If it does, that's when we have to start looking at what is wrong. And in this case, this is, it just doesn't pass the smell test. This is my frustration when it, when it comes to what you're saying with the difference in sport is that in, in most, most major sport fans are i mean like we've talked about before there's a lot of officiating that goes kind of sideways but fans know generally oh sticks up on the hands that's an infraction we know what that is there are so many goddamn rules in the FIA that if if they're if they're so out there and they don't uh if they don't comply by them or they don't you know adhere to them the way that they're written and the way that they're generally understood then it becomes even more confusing and frustrating for fans who are just trying to figure out this new sport 
you know, all those points are really well made and, and right in terms of the intricacies of the F1. But ultimately, at the end of the day, Hamilton was given an opportunity to fend off Verstappen for one lap and he couldn't deliver. And that's why Verstappen won. I, Again, no, Elliot, I get not on fair footing, not on fair footing. That's like saying, okay, you, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to have an overtime period with three guys, but one team, all their skates are going to be dulled. That's what, yeah. that's what this is about. Yeah. But I, I get that. I get that. But I mean, Verstappen did, they, they played their hand exactly perfectly right. Given the circumstances that occurred. Mercedes By chance, though, Elliot, they just got lucky and they had a free opportunity know, to do it. I know, but, but they had a free opportunity to do it because they were losing the race by 11 seconds. I, I get you're, you're completely did. right in this. Oh. I'm not arguing that you're not right, but ultimately it came down to one lap of racing in the last but race. But it wasn't racing. I don't call that year. racing. I don't call oh, well, that racing. It's it not fair racing. footing. No, it wasn't. It was racing. That's not, though. And no, it, it's and not. It, but it, this is sort of what, if I've come to learn anything, learning anything about F1, is that nothing makes sense and no one ever follows the rules. That's exactly what racing is. It's Everyone, racing, man. It's all about, that. that is what racing is. It's all about bending the rules and, and constantly trying to like change it's really a problem yeah. right so like, let me say something brand. let me say this something to that different though. than there, there's 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 tons of examples of this throughout the history of f1 someone's sure. always pushing the boundaries the stewards Absolutely. are always involved and it always is causing right. problems and i get that but like <laughs> but that's, here's the that, difference that, here's the difference racing. no no but here's the difference and i do agree with you on that point that there and even earlier in this race there was a situation where max uh, came in hard, hard on Lewis and he was forced out wide and he ended up taking a position well off the track. Usually you have to give that position back. The stewards he decided gave... in that situation that Max pushed him off. Now that's very subjective. Well, they, they did that's say that he got, he got advantage back. They said sure. he gave him enough time. They slowed down. Sure. My point being Elliot's right in the fact that there are a lot, there is a lot of space in between the lines of a lot of these rules for interpretation. That is why there is a room full of stewards who are <laughs> racing experts who make these judgment calls the same way as Braden pointed out, officiating is still a human error situation, right? People either see things, well, they don't you just see call things, them experts, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. This isn't about a driver pushing the rules to the limit. This is the governing body, the structure, the integrity of this sport is being called into question today because what appears to have happened was that the race director made a decision that was more about the entertainment value of the sport and less about the competitive integrity of it. And that is what I am frustrated by. This race should have finished under a safety car just as every other race almost exclusively for the for the for the history of f1 that has had a, a crash this severe in the last 10 laps has finished under safety car would it have yes. been a little bit less dramatic yes but guess what it should have been done that way because it would have been right it would have this been is fair. better and this is the this other is thing officiating this is i'm not saying it's a ploy i'm just saying officiating should always side on the conservative option. They should always take the safer choice. Why? Because they may get criticized for it, but at least they are not affecting the outcome of the event as an outside body. But this, this is, is the better. same as like, no, it's Jordan, not, it's not better though, better. Elliot. It's not There will though. be more people listening. There will be more controversy next year. You know there's going to be looking fire between the Red Bull and Mercedes. Lewis. Yeah. And you know what? That the season three of Drive to Survive is going <laughs> to be, gonna be the most massive Anywhere. Netflix event <laughs> ever. You cannot tell me. I know as a racing fan, as someone who follows the rules and is deeply invested in what is correct, because you're a good man and you have a good heart, this frustrates you. 
but this is better for F1 in the I don't think it is, though. I really don't. Because, again, it's about the integrity of your sport. You look back at baseball. You can't tell me the steroids era was good for baseball. Because when you look back at it now, just for a second, though, Elliot, in the moment, Mark McGuire, just listen, though. Listen to my, just let me make my point. In the moment, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa were great for TV. They were great for for what would have been at the time Netflix documentaries. They were great for ESPN. They were great for all the coverage surrounding the game. They got more eyeballs watching baseball than ever before. But what is the legacy, the lasting legacy of that? It has tarnished the sport. Now we look back at that period of time and we go, how on earth did this go on? How on earth did we let this happen? And what I am saying is that although it may be good in the short term for TV ratings, this calls into question the integrity of the sport moving forward. Every championship that is this close moving forward is now open to interpretation. I I I don't like, I think, I don't think that anyone thinks that F1 or the FIA is, is, is a wholesome, perfect for like, I'm not saying organization. No one thinks that's Now the difference when you're, when you're bringing up the steroid era is that everyone was lying about no one knew what was going on. Everyone knows exactly what's going on here. They didn't want the last race of the year to end on a safety car. They wanted to have one more lap of race. And that's wrong. And but it I, I it's not different. Be it's a but decision. It's different. No, it shouldn't be a decision made in, in that okay, moment. So like, I again, know you're. I won't disagree with you on on the fundamentals of what you're saying. I'm just saying it's fun. It's better for the sport. It's better for the sport. I don't think it is. It might be better for the entertainment part of the sport, Elliot. I think that's true, but only because it creates yeah, fans controversy. Pissed off about but, it. But that's what I mean. I would. I would also tell you, like, if you look at the majority of the response to this, I don't think this is good for the sport. I think this oh, this has a lot of people looking at this and going how could you let this happen how could you allow yourself and more importantly the one person you've put in charge of this entire thing to make a decision and the way the the other part of it is the way in which it happened was so it was just so wrong on so many levels he made one call he said they weren't going to let them unlap and less than 30 seconds later on the same lap he changed his mind it's like christian harner was giving it to him he was saying they've got to get going you can't then where's your where's your where's your impartiality but, but do you think the majority of people following this story this week, the majority of people in the world are as invested in this sport as you guys are? No, I, don't but I don't think, think that so. changes. I don't think I don't that changes. Think so. Elliot, so when I, I say, when, but for someone like me who says like, the, if that race had ended on a friggin' safety car, you guys, then the correct, the, right the, no, to, the correct driver who had so won that race from bad. start to finish should have won that race. I, I would have been like, why am I watching this? He Why the that's, position that's, fairly. That's the he kept rule. the position fairly. He kept the p- position fairly. The, the Red Bull had not found a way to answer under the standard rules with an opportunity there. And then all of a sudden, literally the hand of God came in, rearranged yeah. the cards mm-hmm. and yeah. said, here you go, Max. It's on a platter for you. He was a sitting duck. Then it was not, he would not have been a sitting duck under the, under the standard that has been set every other race for the history of the sport. And all of a sudden the interpretation was flipped on its head and changed. And I, and I just don't think that that is right. That's what I'm saying. You're right. Same way. Let me put it this way. Did Brett Hall have his foot in the crease? Yes. Correct. He did. And it's the wrong team won that year, right? Was the puck over the line when Calgary was playing Tampa Bay? Yes, Yes, it was the wrong team won that year. And good. Max Verstappen's world champion. They're probably not going to be able to take that away from him, no matter how many court challenges Mercedes <laughs> wants to do. That's just the reality of it. But as Braden said, I, I said I was sad, uh, and I am. I'm now a little bit more angry because you pushed pushed me back to that place, and that's okay. <laughs> I was I was really angry earlier today. I let myself sit on it, and then I just felt sad. And the reason I felt sad to finish here 
was that number one, I didn't think that the, the way that race finished was fair and just, that makes me sad for Lewis Hamilton. It also makes me sad for Max Verstappen because as Braden said, that will always be a part of this story and that's not fair for him. He should have had an opportunity to win this race clean and fair. He did guess what? He wasn't in a position to win that race until Michael Massey rearranged the deck and, and gave him that advantage. So I think that that tarnishes his, his, his win. Unfortunately, I, I don't think there's any way around that. And then I'm, I'm sad for the fact that I think that this damages the integrity of that, of a sport that I care a lot about. And that's why, why I'm sad. You know, the Any thing last thoughts, what, you guys? Well, what, what you just said there, these two guys had 14 one, two finishes this season. And I yeah. think that that's just going to continue next year. Like, I don't think we'll see. Yeah, new cars though. Very well, different design cars. We'll see what happens. And Lewis is going to come back with a vengeance. And yeah. for a guy who's that good behind the, the wheel, it's going to be a lot of fun next season to watch that. Um, yeah. One last thought that can bring you back to a feeling of joy over this race. Tsunoda finished fourth. Yeah, he shouldn't have, but yeah, good job. That's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. Come on. Tsunoda finished fourth. That's great. You guys, that's a big deal. Alpha Tori finished fourth and fifth in this race. Yeah, they're a good okay. team. It's very good. Very good. It's sad to see Kimi Raikkonen not be able to finish his last race. That was definitely sad, um, but not as sad as the way this finished. Elliot, you want to uh, get one more barb in there? Or are you good? No, I, I've riled you up enough. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Braden and I will have more time to talk about this on our uh, final episode of this season's uh, edition of the Pit Stop podcast later this week. Uh, we might have Tyler back, Braden. I think we. I think we probably should. Yeah. I think we've got a lot to discuss, um, but for now, let's leave it here. That was topic one. Ho ho ho! Happy holidays from the Ordinary Podcasting Network. It is the season of giving, and what better gift to give than some fresh swag from the Ordinary Podcasting merch store? We have a brand new holiday collection: t-shirts and toques all with special logo designs for the holiday season. You can head over to the Ordinary Podcasting merch store at ordinarypodcasting.com. Check it out. See what's there. This is a very special limited edition run of merchandise that will only be available until the end of 2021. So get over there, grab some fun swag, share it with your friends, promote your favorite podcasts, and let us know what you think on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. All right on to topic two okay topic two um we have neglected um uh one of canada's other leagues for a long time actually i don't think we've talked about them since shit i don't even know the last time we talked about the cfl but um regardless uh, the champ oh, boy. Oh, here we go already. um the cfl uh has has a well, I shouldn't say a new champion because it's the same champion. The Winnipeg Bo Blue Bombers go back to back, although it's not really back to back when they missed an entire season. Back but they off were the, to back. Yeah, they were the champions before COVID and they're the champions again after COVID having won the, the uh, Grey Cup. Um, 
uh, Sunday night against the Hamilton Tiger Cats, who were playing at home. The final score in overtime was 33-25. I don't know if either of you watched this game. I didn't catch much of it. I did actually watch part of the overtime. It just happened to be on. Um, but from the looking looking at a, at the scoreline, it looked like a very slow start. Four nothing was the score coming out of the first quarter, and then a couple field goals was all Winnipeg managed in the second and third quarter. But then they had a big fourth quarter to to get the game into overtime. So uh, it looked like Hamilton uh, also just kind of sputtering. Not a huge. Uh, hugely sort of contested game until the end, but overtime is overtime. And that's always exciting. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure both of you have uh, thoughts on this, but it does feel a bit mooted after all the thing we talked about with, with, with F1. And, and I, I just, I just haven't been bothered by it at all. I, I, I found I haven't watched much CFL, if any at all this year, and uh, I didn't really miss it, but um, let's see what you guys think. Elliot, do you want to take this first? Yeah, I'm agree with you. I've struggled with CFL this year as well, mostly because the Elks were garbage and the Elks team is garbage and the organization is garbage and the board needs to rethink its role and how it's taking on the world. But that's a conversation for another day. It's very difficult to watch something <laughs> when the team that you cheer for is garbage. And if I can say garbage one more time, I will. We're used um, to it. We're used to it. Let me tell you something. September 15th, the Alberta government opened up its online betting PlayAlberta.ca, you may have heard of it. And they gave you $20 free to bet on any sport that you want. And on September 15th, with odds eight to one, I put $20 on the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. So I'm cashing out a ticket for 160 bucks. Buddy, congratulations. (laughs) Hats off to you. So I have been following because Winnipeg continued to win throughout this year. And that was great. Here's the issue with the Grey The Grey Cup is a national phenomenon. It's something, it, there's been 108 of them in the history of that trophy. It is named after our first Lieutenant Governor, Governor General of Canada, or maybe the second, I don't know. <laughs> but it's, it's, Mr. Cup? it's a meaningful trophy and a meaningful event that's meant to bring Canadians East and West together. Tonight, I couldn't watch the Grey Cup because it was on a channel that my parents don't have. <laughs> and that no. to me, fundamentally, that the Grey Cup is not accessible to oh, every no. Canadian home. The last game of the season, the united, the uniting thing about our country in, in the fall winter, that being the Grey Cup <laughs> was not accessible to me. And it goes back to the monopoly that TSN has over the content and the coverage of the CFL and how it's brought the quality and the standard and everything about the NFL down or CFL down. And, and to me, it just, my dad, who's not a sports fan was in complete shock that we could not put the gray cup on the one game that he might watch a year that he would be invested in. He could not watch. And he was in complete shock because of it. It's that I think says more than anything else in terms of how poorly the league is run and the impact, the negative impact that the TV monopoly that the TSN has, the TSN has on this game has uh, the impact that it's had. That's my, okay. Let, let me just jump in here with a quick fact check. <laughs> it's uh, not, he wasn't the governor general. Was he? That no, was, no, he, was he was the ninth okay, uh, okay. governor general. Lord Stanley was the sixth. 
Okay. So right. he was inspired by Lord Stanley, uh, who had previously done it. And I guess there was a tradition of the governor generals of the country giving away uh, silver chalices for the purposes of championships. Uh, anyway, All right. So uh, I was better than I thought. Yeah, yeah. You had most of the facts, just not in any of the correct order, but that's okay. Uh, anyway, Brady, that's my take. You want to jump that's in? Your you got your that's facts in line? That's unfortunate. Well, I didn't watch too much of the game, but I did start to pick up um, it momentum once Winnipeg came back. It looked like for a good long while there when they were down, like, what, 19 to maybe 12, that going into the fourth, they were they were going to lose. I, had, I, I really did not have expectations here that Winnipeg was going to pull it out. So it's, I mean, it's awesome that they, it, it ended in a th- thrilling kind of fashion and over time, that's always fun. Um, big, big excitement for my buddy Ray, our friend Ray of the, uh, uh, in, of Winnipeg. But other than that, I'm with you, Elliot, this league kind of sucks. I need somebody to explain to me how three down football makes sense anymore. Um, yeah, just it it did not have my attention. Um, mainly, I guess, because the team that I generally follow wasn't a part of it, but also just the 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 game itself has lost uh, has kind of lost me. Yeah, me too. I, I, it's frustrating. I think um, uh, I, I'm I'm kind of perplexed by it. I think like I'm surprised. I guess a little bit in how fast. I lost interest, you know, grew up as a fan of the sport, grew up as a fan of a team in the league, cheered for that team, went to their games, worked for them at one point. Um, You know, we had family season tickets at one point and like, just, it was something that, that felt very Canadian in the sense that it was this kind of tradition thing that was like past generation to generation in different ways. It had a legacy. It had a, like a place in the culture that I just don't think it holds anymore. And I don't think that that has been a, um, I don't think that that has happened slowly. I think that happened really quickly. I think COVID obviously doesn't help. Uh, I think that drove a lot of people who were casual away because there were other things that got them, got them excited and, and, and grabbed them. Definitely a younger audience. But as I've said many times on this show, I think the CFL has an identity crisis that it is very quickly succumbing to. Um, and what I mean by that is it does not know what it is. It does not know who its audience should be and how to serve that audience. It feels trapped a little bit in this struggle between its traditionalism, uh, which comes from a more conservative and more, um, well, frankly, older generation of fans who like three down football, have a relationship with the teams that they cheer for or, or relationship with the game itself going back generations. And then I think that it's losing a younger audience because it can't compete with the NFL, nor would it ever be able to with the way the NFL has grown in the last few decades beyond the, the monolith that already was just based on social media and based on the way in which we consume sports and all of the different factors that are playing a part of that. They, they, they all become a sort of caught up in, in, in this constant, I don't know, black hole that it just feels like it's getting sucked into. Now I know that there's pockets of this country where it's still really important and really valuable as an asset. You know, you're, you're still going to find huge support for the riders, every part of Saskatchewan, you're still going to see huge support for Winnipeg. And I, I think there was a lot of people in Hamilton who were pretty excited, but that's sort of regionalized the Argonauts in the big city struggle. The, the lions out here in the big city, they struggle. Even the Alouettes who had such a glorious decade there uh, at the beginning of the two thousands, they, they, 
they're, they're like a non-issue in Montreal. And I think that the CFL really is coming to a crossroads, uh, I think even more desperately than what Elliot was kind of talking about with baseball last week. This idea that, you know, baseball's huge. Baseball's not going anywhere. The CFL very well could be on a path to extinction here as a league. Like they are very, very precariously uh, treading towards what could be the end of a glorious history with a lot of really important, you know, storylines, but I'm not, I'm not trying to be dramatic when I say I really, I can see an end to this league if they can't figure out what's next. And I don't think um, the way they're going right now is what's next. I didn't, I, I just don't, I don't know. I think you're right, Elliot. I think TSN is actually less helpful for them than they think, but unfortunately there's nobody else out there. I mean, Sportsnet has no interest mm-hmm. in the CFL right CBC. now. I mean, yeah. yeah, but the CBC could be making a play at this. I, I think it's Canadian content and there's no reason why they shouldn't be broadcasting a national game at least once a week. I, 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 or once a year, just throw the great but cup again, together. TSN's not going to give it away. It's the only, no. val- it's the only asset they have in Canadian content right but now. You could have a partnership with multi-platform. Yeah. Yeah, you, you could, but out. again, is that, is it a valuable enough asset for that to be? Well, if, the if money it's about accessibility, if you just lost this whole household because they couldn't watch it, then absolutely it is. Yeah. yeah. But TSN still sold their ads regardless of that. I guess all yeah, I'm going to say is But you're talking about this. I mean, that's, whole, that's the most whole, valuable thing, right? That's yeah, the most valuable eyes thing on it. Is, yeah. the, is the great cop, right? That's the thing that's hard to yep. give up. So, yeah, totally. yeah, I totally get that. But I, I, I still don't think I, the, the, anyway, I made my point already. You know how I feel about this. <laughs> I'm so fed up with it. Yeah, I think the CFL, as I said, has an identity crisis it needs to solve. And I know there's a lot of fans out there who might take umbrage with that. But the truth is, uh, you are a part of a very quickly dwindling fan base. If you, if you're still calling yourself an active CFL fan, and, unless and, and you if, live in you, Saskatchewan, in which case you're probably numbers are rising. <laughs> no, but the point being who's Saskatchewan going to play when all these other markets fold because they can't yeah. sustain a team. It doesn't matter if one market's successful. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. The league has to survive when you have a league this small, what is it? Six teams, seven teams. Like You've it's got easy a, for us though to be cynical and down on it because our team's shitty as hell. I'm sure when a big blue bomber. I don't fans, even know if I would still call that my team. Like I have no sure, emotional sure, investment sure, okay. left so, in that team. So I look at other. I mean, I live in this city, and I'm not. So like maybe I'm cheering for the Lions, but be, I look at the Lions and I think to myself, like this organization is in trouble. You know what I mean? Well, the Elks here. I mean, it's a disaster, and the oh, board is yeah. what they've done. Like the board is 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 not self-aware enough to realize that they are way too invested in the football operations of this thing. They need another level in this organization. I mean, we could have a whole conversation on the Elks and what I think the problem is here, but you know, to sum it up is that the board has too much to control. They're like, they're like nosy owners in, in, in that you see in other jurisdictions. I mean, what we need is a president of football operations that hires Didn't the GM. They hire someone by the name of Wally Buono recently. Yeah, to to go through the search, but it's just a temporary thing until they find a real general manager. I mean, but but there's a there's a mess here. There's a mess here. They need another level. They need a president that reports to the board and a president who hires a GM and a GM that does the football stuff. And the president might have some say or there, but really reports to the board. That's the problem. The board is too close to the general manager, too invested in day to day. And it's very clearly a problem. 
Well, I think you, you hit the nail on the head with one thing, Elliot, when you said it about that team, but I think it's true of the entire CFL. I think there's too many people involved at the higher levels here who are not self-aware enough about the struggles and dangers yeah. that their league is oh, in. Yeah. I think that's the problem. And uh, they're, they're and a useless a of, commission. They've got a useless commission. Yeah, they're in a bit of an echo chamber, and they're not seeing that, yeah. that they are taking on significant water. All right, well, congratulations to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, regardless. <laughs> they are the Great Cup champions and in me. 2001. And you for your big yeah, bet win. Big That's a big win. one. So uh, uh, look in the new year, Elliot. She'll be launching a, uh, a betting <laughs> podcast here on the network with uh, all kinds of hot tips and takes. Uh, <laughs> what, that was what, do we always say? what do we always say? Hashtag, Hashtag Tandy Tandy polling. polling. <laughs> Do you or someone you know own a small business? Are you looking to grow or to reach new customers? Hey, why not let us help? Hattrick is looking for unique brands, businesses, and products to advertise on our show. You can find out how we can help spread the word about your business by contacting us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. To uh, round out our trilogy of misery today, uh, we have... Uh, dedicated the third topic to uh, the struggling Edmonton Oilers. They have dropped five in a row. Uh, they are obviously uh, still suffering from a, a myriad of injured players, mostly on the oh. back end. Um, there are a few bright spots. Uh, we can get to those in a second, but not many. Um, they, they seem to be in that. They, they, they seem to have gotten trapped a little bit in that, in that place that sometimes good teams get when they go on a skid. And what I mean by that is they play well enough to win, but don't actually get over the hump. They're just a goal away or they're one depth goal away or they're one, you know, big save away from what they should be winning. You know, they had a game the other night where they put 40 shots on the net and they lose. That's a good effort on most nights, but there's something missing. There's, there's something either not quite right or uh, just not quite clicking. And that's what we're going to dig into here. Obviously it's, it's too early, I think to hit the panic button, but whenever you're an Oiler fan, whenever you're a fan, you're of always Canadian teams. Mode. Well, there's scar tissue, right? <laughs> Look at what happened here in Vancouver uh, after their their skid. They hit the panic button and, you know, they made some big changes. I'm not suggesting that that's happening in Edmonton yet, but five in a, five in a row is not great. Now, luckily for the Oilers, they had a fantastic start and they've spotted themselves a few extra uh, points to, to be able to weather uh, a little bit of this. And I would also, as I have said many times to my wife, suggest that it's better to have this happen in December than in March. <laughs> um, so let's start there. Yeah. I'll go to Braden first. Um, how are you feeling as an Oilers fan uh, this week? Yeah, nervous for sure. It's frustrating to watch any game where they are, uh, lose. Um, I mean, to be fair, they played some really steep competition that they haven't faced in in uh, well, this season and certainly not last season when it comes to the likes of the Carolina Hurricanes and Minnesota Wild are having a stellar season. The Bruins are, are, are good. Uh, and they've got stiffer competition coming up with the Leafs. And the, I mean, even the Ducks are really good right now. So it's, it's not going to change. Nothing's going to change. What's going to have to kind of happen is they're going to have to get back on the horse and, and figure out how to put the puck in the net like they were uh, doing so well at the beginning of the season. I really hope that um, the injection of Mike Smith back into the lineup this week knock on wood that that happens um, changes some things and, and at least inspires uh, a bit more from, from the offense, but uh, yeah, it can't, they can't lose. They can't lose, man. They just can't lose. And five in a row is not a good thing. First time they've lost five in a row, I believe since 2019, uh, Elliot. 
Yeah, so there's three things here that I'd point to. One, this consistency that they consistently have bad starts in games. They've been scored on what, like the majority of games, way more than the majority of games. Yeah. Especially in the last little bit, they've been the first one the goal against. Um, so terrible starts. It puts them in awful positions where they're chasing games, which leads to my second thing, which is that they're forced to double shift and spend more time uh, putting Connor McDavid and Leon Drysaddle lines out there, whether they're together or apart, which causes issues in the rotation in the back end, particularly the bottom six. And we've seen the bottoming out of the bottom six again this year in Edmonton. And mm-hmm. someone has to wonder if maybe this is not structural. Maybe it's not the players that we're bringing in to be in the bottom six. Maybe it's the way in which the lines are being run and the way in which the games are playing out. And I think that there's a question there because this is what, three, four, five seasons in a row uh, that we've seen just decently. We know players with decent sort of third and fourth line characteristics and other teams come to Edmonton and not be able to do it. And we're certainly seeing that again here. And then the third thing I'll point to, and, you know, I wish someone before the season had maybe made this point, but we've basically gutted the depth of our defense and we have had substantial issues with injuries in the back end of this team. And well, it was fun to see Broberg and Niemalainen and these guys and Legison come in and, and, and play big minutes and see where they're at in their careers. That only worked for so long. And I think it's had a significant impact on the team in terms of the outcomes and, and they are still strapped on the back end. And I think Darnell Nurse is playing hurt just because they literally cannot afford to have that the, as many defenses they have out. And it's really impacting the team. And we're seeing that. We've, we, they, they got a depth. And you and we all had different opinions on that over the summer. And they're paying the price because they're, they're getting hurt on the back. They're banged up on the back end right now. And that's what's impacted the last things. So I think those are the three things. Bad starts, but a ter- bottom six that's not performing, and lack of defensive depth. And that's what's really damaging the team right now. Yeah, I think I think all those things are fair. I think um, I think with a healthier, I mean, you can't control health. You can't control you injuries. That they're going to happen every team, right? So you're right, Elliot. Depth is valuable. It's hard to build out depth, uh, anticipating this kind of onslaught of injuries. I think last week at one point they had one healthy defenseman from the group of defensemen who had started the season for them, uh, because I think. Uh, uh, Cody CC had COVID or was in COVID protocol. So he, although he wasn't injured, he still wasn't playing. Um, so yeah, that doesn't, that's not going to go well. He's like, you, you are trying to field an NHL team. Um, <laughs> but I would also argue that we, we have also seen just overall sort of, and this is a term we don't use very much in the NHL, but like the form of most of the roster um, go through a bit of a, a cold spell or like a, a cold streak, you know, like even the top guys have had, less um success in the last couple weeks than they had you know in november uh and that's that every team would struggle under those circumstances yes the edmonton oilers rely very heavily on their top six but that's not unlike a lot of teams in the nhl um the calgary flames who are obviously ahead of the oilers right now in the standings are relying a lot on a guy named giapani to score the majority of their goals a third line winger yeah yeah but the point being um wherever you get your offense from you got to get your offense and they're just not getting it. Um, what's frustrating is again, that they are generating chances. They are yeah. having some bad luck and they're also coming up against good goaltending. I think that's the other thing about like not panicking here. If you actually watch these games and you actually look beyond just the stat line, you can see that the Oilers aren't rolling over here. They aren't being completely chased out of the barn for the majority of these games. They're in the game. Uh, often they do have a slow start. That's maybe a coaching thing. Maybe that's, 
um, just a preparation thing. I don't know. I, it is interesting to see. To, it will be interesting to see if they can figure that piece of it out. Um, I would make one argument against you, Elliot, in terms of like, it's just fun to see some of these rookies. I think they've actually discovered a diamond in the rough here with Marcus Niemelainen. I think this guy surprised them. And I think that he offers something to this defense that they have not had, which is grit um, in a while. I mean, Darnell Nurse is a big guy, but he's not the first guy to throw the check. You know, he's he's a much more strategic uh, defense a defenseman when he's playing in his own zone you know he he is an offensive defenseman first i think that's fair to say but nima linen is i think he's he's out hit the entire roster since he's been called up and as a rookie to have that kind of confidence to go out there and say this is what i offered the team i'm going to go out there and do that i think there's value in that and those are the kind of performances we need from some of the depth guys as they're trying to weather this storm is to not only you know show up and do the best they can but to make do the little things right and 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 they'll that's how you work your way out of it um so it certainly helps when he's six eight Oh, he's a very big boy. He's he's a very large man. No, he's a revelation for sure. And it's exciting to finally have someone in here. I mean, I'm just going through stats right now. Warren Fogle, two goals. Devin Shore, one goal. Kyle Turris, one goal. Those guys, uh, who was the other one I had here? Derek Ryan, one goal. Those guys all together combined have less goals than Milan Lichich on Calgary. So yes, Mangiapane is doing something, but they also have a third line that's absolutely no. I to. won't. The Edmonton Oilers' depth has definitely gone cold. They had a good start to the season. I think Warren Fogle's goals were in the first three or four oh, games. Yeah, yeah. he oh, came yeah. out of preseason hot, and then just it went away. You're absolutely right, uh, and that's going to happen. On the, the question defensive is, zone, what do we need wanted... from those guys? Right, you need you're, you're asking eight that's what you're getting out of one of those guys. Yeah. And you're not I'm I'm, I'm asking for 50-50. I'm if you go yeah. out and you yeah. have the same amount of goals for as against, whether it's zero. Yeah, that's Whether it's one, whether it's two, I don't care. But what you need, because our top six is going to beat their top six nine times out of ten in the seat. You know what? As long as our fourth line draws even and our third line draws even, our second line is better than their second line and our first line is better than their their first line against 90% of the teams in this league. And that's that's not happening. That's That's not happening. Yep. So where's the biggest weakness right now? Uh, Between the years. I would say it's between the pipes. I don't agree with that. I I, I think that well, there has you been keep talking two... about early 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 goals against that. What no, else, I didn't. What else is that? Well, that's team. That's the entire team not having a hot start. Come on, you watch those. It's goals happened in the last time and time again. Yeah, on bad turnovers. Man. Yeah, but he hasn't been giving up the first goal. He's making saves, and more importantly, <sighs> more importantly, Braden, go watch go watch the highlights from that game the other night against. Who did they play on? Carolina. Yeah, Carolina. Thank you. Go watch the highlights of that game against Carolina. And until the bad bounce off the end board, which I'm sorry, that's like, that's, that's going to happen once in a while. There's nothing he can do. That's a routine play. He's going to the same place. Every time he goes there, it came off the the boards. Funny, unfortunate bounce. But up until that point, he kept that team in that game. He had huge saves on two or three odd man rushes. One that was point blank to Sebastian Ajo and made a huge save with the pad. He is definitely improved on the performances we saw from him last year and i and i think that again like when you have the lack of um of depth offense that we have and more importantly when you have the depleted defense and a lot of rookie defensemen in front of you those goaltenders are being asked to do a lot more than they should be on this team uh and i think that 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 is skewing that somewhat i think Stuart skinner played well in the in the first couple of games he, and then you know yeah. he felt he fell back to being a rookie but the truth is he's he's kept the Oilers in games the last four games of this losing streak are all games the Oilers should have won 
were capable of winning. And well, on most is- nights, they should have had that extra goal or two extra goals that they just couldn't find. And I don't think you can blame that on goaltending. Fair. Okay. But we've now seen that Stuart Skinner can play in the NHL. I think that that, you know, at least a backup. Is a backup. He's still sure. a backup. Yeah. So now you've got an excess of goaltenders once Mike Smith comes back. And they're certainly we don't know not what getting Mike rid Smith of him. going to be when he comes back. Well, we don't know what he's going to be, right? That's it, fair. Apparently it's an but ankle injury. But you've got four and a half The guys had an ankle injury all of last year. In. And how, how are you going to do anything this season in terms of improving or bringing in anything to help if you've got not. that kind of contract sitting you're on not. the bench? You're not. So you're moving Koskinen by the deadline. No, you're not moving any of those goaltenders. I'm telling you right now, that's my hot take right now. There is not a goaltender available out there that is better than what these two guys or these three guys together are offering you. Maybe I no don't want a trading goalie. first goalies. Maybe I don't want a goalie. So you just you, want to move just, Miko Koskinen well, for cap space is what you're saying. I want cap space, absolutely, because you're talking about scoring okay, goals. Maybe, but they're not bringing in a goalie. That's, I guess, what I'll say. There isn't a I goalie s- to be had. I think you're, yeah, I mean, I don't know, like, I, I, I sort of feel like, Brayden, sometimes we, I think we're harder on the goaltending than we should be, like, yeah, I'm not at, goaltending in general, like, I'm saying Koskinen. Yeah, Koskinen's 908 this year, that's a save percentage, 908, which is uh, a little bit lower than the, you know, the league average in terms of, but that was much higher before the end of the season, before the season, you Mike Smith's 920, Stuart Sinner, both those guys are much smaller, so 918, I mean, I, I do think, there, there have been a couple. You're, you're just going to have to accept that you're going to get a bad goal from Miko Koskinen once every two games, sort of. You know, that's that that's that's sort of where we're at with. And in a two-one game. And in a two-one game or a three-one game or a three-two game, that can be a difference maker for sure. I, I don't disagree with you on that, on that front. But I've also you've also got a team that is capable of scoring four, five, six goals any night too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, and I think in the first part of the season, what you saw is the Oilers outscoring their mistakes. I mean, let's also not forget their, their power play is nowhere near as hot as it was to start the season. And so that was like that, oh, those outscoring the mistakes has become a lot harder when you're not potting two or three power play goals a night, right? Uh, teams have sort of figured that out. I mean, the other thing is I think this simple, changing the subject and moving away from goaltending, I just want to add here is that the Oilers are a good team and players are coming in and other teams are coming in and bringing their best show every night because they know they're yeah. playing against like what yeah. they think is a top 10, 10 league. Uh, uh, team in the league, top eight team in the league. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the Oilers, you know, people were like, wow, they're good. Yeah, they've made changes that have worked. Dak Hyman is working out. Um, and so they're playing the best of their opponent every night too. And, and that's had an impact as well. Yeah. I want to, so, I want to give you one weird statistic that I do think, uh, I think is playing a factor in the perception of this team. Um, the Edmonton Oilers have 10 losses on the season, not a single one of them in overtime. Yeah. So they have not gotten any of those half point games. They're yeah. not getting a little bit of bump in the standings because they're not getting games they're losing into overtime or they're losing yeah. games in regulation. And that is something I think that not that, you know, like they're, they are literally at zero and they're first in the league in that category, which is not a category you want to be leading in necessarily, but they've also been in two shootouts and they've won them both. So they're not seeing a lot of extra time to begin with. Um, uh you know, games that they're getting to overtime, they're either winning in overtime or they've had those two shootout wins. But, you know, the goal differential for this team is only eight, right? So they're, they're, they've scored 88 goals and they've let in 80 goals. So, you know, th- there's definitely room to improve on the goals against part of it. And maybe that is, as Elliot said, maybe that's defense or maybe that's structural, but I don't know. I, I think, again, I personally think it's, it's too early to be hitting the panic button. I think you need to, I think every good team uh, goes through a patch where they are figuring some things out. 
um, whether it's weathering some adversity from injuries or whether it's again, just coming up against, you know, a little bit of, I don't know, fatigue and they just they, they, something isn't quite clicking. I, I remember a certain St. Louis team that I think going into uh, the February of the year that they were playing was last in the division and they went on to win the Stanley cup. So, you know, adversity isn't always the worst thing if you can weather it and if you can turn it around. And that is the big question mark here for the Oilers in December is can they find a way to right the ship moving into the new year, use this as a learning opportunity and a growing opportunity uh, and, and improve again. And we'll see, I guess. Right. Last thoughts, Braden. Uh, just, just something noted that the, Top line changed that that game after Pittsburgh. Uh, Yamamoto moved up to the top line, Pugliarvi down to the third line, and uh, I, I wonder if we see another shift again with Pugliarvi back up to the top line here after five games losing to see if uh, if they can return to some sort of uh, normalcy. Elliot, couple big games against difficult teams, Toronto on Tuesday, Columbus on Thursday. I mean, you don't want to stretch five into six or into seven. And this is a six game homestand that they have a chance. Very, There's a chance they might not want to single pick up a single game at home in the six game homestand. And that would be a missed opportunity. Yeah, that would definitely be bad. Um, <laughs> one other statistical anomaly I will point out, they are at 31.7%. Elliot mentioned that the power play has slowed down, but it's still best in the league. So That's they're crazy. still, the things are still working. Do you know what I mean? Like there's a lot. <laughs> they just have to get right on the power play. And frankly, yeah. they're in the top 10 in penalty kill too. They're at 82.7%. Yeah, yeah, I think they're, well, I've got ninth in front of me, but maybe it's eighth. So um, regardless, they're in the top 10 on both of those special team categories. And those are often the deciding factors. So again, they just got to figure out five on five depth scoring a little bit better than they have. And, and, and we'll see if that, that's something you can you can do mid-season but um sometimes you just gotta ask those you know you just have to expect that there's more out of your players and we'll see if they can find that next gear and if they can get out of it well i feel like we worked our way out of a bit of a slump it was a slow uh an emotionally low day for a few of us as sports fans but uh thank you both for being uh being here with me and to uh it was very cathartic it felt good to uh to, to vent and and to rail against uh CFL. <laughs> uh, but anyway, <laughs> regardless, uh, another fun week. Um, and we'll we'll be back next week with uh, some more fun stuff for you. Brady, Elliot, thank you very much. That was Hattrick. Hattrick is a member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. It's produced every week by Jordan Dyler Coltman and Braden Dyler Coltman. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. I'm going to let you guys go away and then I'll do the Christmas merch ad as I apparently am the only one who likes it. I like it. I love it. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit, whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations. And we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live, create, and share stories on these territories. The Ordinary Podcasting Network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue 
which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination, but a journey, and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space.